Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 through 20, you don't have to turn. I'm gonna just give you a bunch of stuff and today might just be mumbo jumbo, but I think it'll end up right. So hopefully, and you being dead, listen, in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all of your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that it was against us, which was contrary to us. And it has taken, listen, he has taken out of the way and having nailed it to the cross, all of the requirements, hear me, the requirements were taken out of the way and nailed to a cross. The requirements were taken out of the way and nailed to a cross. This is amazing to me. Having disarmed principalities and powers, having made a public spectacle of them, triumph, triumphing over them, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Listen to this. Let no one cheat you. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Don't let anyone tell you who you're not when Colossians 3 says that I have died and my life is hidden in Christ with God. And this life I now live, right? Galatians 2.20, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. It also says that my life is hidden in Christ, which the implication is that when you look in the mirror, if you don't see the glory of the Lord looking back at you, there's an image that is false, that somewhere along the way you were cheated. You were cheated out of the reward through things like false humility. Uh, false humility is, it sounds humble, right? To say, I'm, I'm nothing but you spit on the cross and the blood of Jesus. Because if you were nothing, he never would have paid a price. But like Todd says, the value of anything is based on the price that was paid for it. And I think we have, I, it's easy to say he died for the whole world. It's another thing to believe that Jesus died for me. And if we actually believe that, we never ever again would deal with the issue of never measuring up. And we've complicated it. And we go deep, deep, and we, we take people everywhere, and they still can't believe that their life is hidden in Christ. And religion has cheated us for too long. And I'm determined that my children will grow up saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that their testimony will be, I was born in Zion. I wasn't born in the world. The, the Passion says this in verse 14 of Colossians 2. I, I love this. Listen, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood against us. Listen, he erased it all. You're not who you were and you're not what you did. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot, listen, and they cannot be retrieved can't find it. Everything we once were in Adam, listen, has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of canceled. <laughs> That's so powerful. This is what the commentary says. Don't let anyone disqualify you from your prize. And then it goes on in verse 18, and don't let their pretended sincerity fool you. Spirit of religion, listen, it'll always try to cheat you out of what God says about you, and it's religion that put Jesus on a cross, not the world. Sinners sat with him. It was the religious leaders of the day that schemed their way, believing that they were right, and there's a difference between righteousness and rightness. Believing you're made right, you have no, you have, you're not trying to prove your rightness to anybody. Somewhere I really want to go, but I shouldn't. So anyways, 
It's easy. No, 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 no. Listen. Okay, okay. Hold on. Wild bunch of people. All right. This is your first time. Welcome. We love you. Um, All right. I hope you come back. All right. But it's easy. It's easy to fall into this trap of religion because there's a cancer, cancer in the church called the fear of man. And I want to hit the fear of man between the eyes today. Can we do it? Okay. But I, I, uh, I'll start out by saying from October to about December, I went through like a really weird uh, season. Everything was going good, but I was dealing with an unusual amount. I'm just going to be vulnerable with you, but I was dealing with an unusual amount of discouragement, kind of pushing through, um, questioning my leadership, questioning my, uh, my being adequate. Like, am I, you know, just, I'm too young. Lord, all I'm doing is offending people. Maybe I'm not a good leader. I'm just, this is the crazy thoughts, you know? And, I'm, and I have all these things going through my mind. I don't know if I have the wisdom and the vision. Like when we were in Chicago, even, it's the hunger and what we're seeing and, and not really realizing the actual reach that God is bringing from this room. You know, it's not, I don't know if it's so much like an exciting thing, but it's a sobering thing of, do we have the wisdom, right? To carry this is our wineskin. And so just questioning myself, questioning my ability, my, my leadership, all that stuff. Anyone ever, anyone dealt with that in the past three months? Whatever, maybe as a parent, as a husband, whatever it is, but I started questioning everything. And it was like, you can ask my wife, it was like clockwork where, Sunday would come and it would be amazing. And then Monday would come and I was falling into like that pastor Monday blue thing. And I've never dealt with that. But there was like this constant attack trying to discourage me. You can ask my wife. She was like, you okay? You know, like, and it it went on for, for three months or so. And then I started to hear about leaders and specifically leaders even in this house that we're going through the same thing. And when I got down to it, when I, when I brought it to its smallest place, I realized it was the fear of man. When I brought it to its small, and, and it was stuff like walking into a meeting, walking into our department meeting, walking into staff meeting, whatever it is, and I'm walking into the meeting and, and all I can think about is I'm not qualified for this. And, and this went on for, for three months straight, like horrible and like crippling discouragement. And and, and I found, and when I found it, I shot it in the face and I'm still shooting it in the face, but we're all going to shoot it in the face today because, because there's been a theme that I've been hearing within this community of fear and it doesn't belong here. This theme of, of night terrors and stuff, it, it's not allowed here. Okay. But I have found that the two biggest crippling, and I want you to write this down, crippling, cripplers to identity and destiny, listen, is disappointment because of wrong perspective of God and the fear of man. Disappointment over the wrong perspective of God and the fear of man. And it's a spirit. It's, it's not you. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that tries to attack us. And it, it's, it's almost irrational discouragement. You know what I'm talking about? Like everything in your life is amazing when you look around and you can't figure out why you feel the way that you do. It's irrational because it's a spirit. It's deception. This is how deception works is truth is right in front of you. Like all things pertaining to life and to godliness right in front of you. Like deception is believing that you, do ha- that you don't have anything. Deception is believing that you're broke. When if you really took a tally of your life, you'd realize there's never been one day he hasn't taken care of me. My kids are not hungry on the streets. Your kids are not hungry on the streets. And if they're here, hopefully they're getting some snacks too. But, but there's never, however God makes it work, I've never, the scriptures say, I've never seen the, fors- the righteous forsaken, ever, right? And so irrationally, we think, oh my gosh, how is he going to provide? And he's like, look at your whole life. What's the matter with you? It's deception. It's, oh my gosh, how is he? And no one ever looked back and said, I'm so glad I worried about that. No one. 
The testimony is always, remember when I was worried about that? <laughs> Idiot, that, that's always my testimony. Sorry, sorry. So I know I'm not allowed to say that behind the pulpit. I apologize. But, but that's, my, that's like the constant testimony of my life is what is the matter with you? <laughs> what, what, what are you thinking? Why were you worried about, about all these things when all God has ever done is provide for you and your family, right? So it's, it's irrash, you're irrationally discouraged. And then my wife comes to me and says, why are you discouraged? I'm like, I don't know. And, and I believe the Lord wants to shoot that thing between the eyes over everybody's life today. Because at some point, or every single person in this room at some point's dealt with the fear of man. No matter what you say, at some point, we have all dealt with it. And, and I believe there's coming a generation that's gonna be so in love with pleasing only the Lord that we can truly love man the way we need to because we're free from them. Amen? But listen, that, that fear of man thing, it, it gives temptation to take the safer path the one that's approved by those you fear, right? It's, it's the fear of man is that, that temptation. And I'm just bringing you into my, my experience of most of the time, it's an assumption. Most of the time, the people are tracking. But leaders get caught in this, and it's an identity crisis. It's really what it is. It's an identity crisis saying, I need your approval, Talking about me. I know everyone else is good, but let's talk about me. The recognition of people, the applaud of people to know if you did good or not. Right? Today, worship teams, not our worship team, but worship teams under that same spirit that weighs what happened in a room based on the response of people. Were they sitting? Were they standing? Were they engaged? Who cares if they were engaged? Was your heart engaged with the Lord? People need our worship more than they need our instruction, right? But, but we weigh everything based on the approval of man. And I think a lot of what we say, I think a lot of us loving man is actually fearing man. And so the fear of man, listen, when you have to run through your mind what that person or certain group is gonna think before any decision you make, there's a problem in your life. Now, this can be a very dangerous topic. And the reason this can be a dangerous topic is because I firmly believe in accountability. I firmly believe in being seated under authority. You can't be in authority unless you are first under authority. You can't be a father unless you are a son. That's how it works, even naturally. Doesn't matter anything about your father. You actually never became a father unless you first were born as a son, right? So I believe in accountability. I believe in the scriptures say there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Whenever we make a big decision here, we go to a multitude of counselors, right? As a team, you make decisions as a team. I believe the importance of that. I'm talking about the heart. Everyone say the heart. I'm talking about the position of the heart that if something happens that God told you to do and you were obedient and it makes somebody else not happy, weighing that thing, if you're discouraged because of that, what you're actually saying is, Lord, they're more important to me than you are important to me. I fear them more than I fear you, right? So there's these points in life. It's also, it could also be dangerous, though, because I think we can mimic the absence of the fear of man by becoming harsh with people, right? This is where I have to be careful, <laughs> If I'm just being honest, we can mimic the absence of the fear of man. And usually the most insecure people are the, the loudest one when you're ready to fight. You know, like, hey, Josie, so good to see you. I haven't seen Josie in a while. But they're, they're the, you know, like I always say in, you know, when you're before Jesus, of course, you know, like you, you get into a little, t you know, scuffle with a group of guys. It's the loud one in the front that's usually the most scared and gets punched first. It's the crazy dude in the back that's small and knows karate and he's quiet, and you're always afraid of the quiet ones because they're like, he probably knows Krav Maga or something, right? Because people that are secure, have, they don't have need to prove anything to anybody, right? But, but this thing is crippling the church, and I would tell you, it's a counterfeit. If, if you say, well, I don't fear man, and you're just mean to people, it's a counterfeit. 
you're actually, I think it proves that you're more afraid of them because you've got to be strong around them and push them down because it pushes you up. Right? And so I want to guard as we get into this from these two dangers of, well, I don't need accountability. Yes, you do. Right? And I can use this thing in the name of God to just treat people with a callous heart. Right? And that's, and it's a counterfeit to truly being free from man. I would say that the true absence of the fear of man causes you to be the most loving and compassionate person in the room. I would say somebody that actually walks in this grace because they don't need anything from them, they actually can have this, their heart completely open to people without 58 walls that we put up and called it spiritual. We call it boundaries. And I'm not against boundaries. I believe in healthy boundaries, just not walls that keep me from, from being able to fully embrace you because the only reason we're putting up a wall is because we're afraid of something. I'm going to disconnect from you. In the Christian world, although we are the righteousness of God, we try to prove our rightness by using judgment, even though the scriptures say you are to judge no one. And we push them in a corner, right? Justice driven. We push them in a corner. And could you imagine if Jesus did this to us? Because there was no fear of man in him, but because it actually says of the scriptures, because of his reverence. Wow. Have you ever just thought about that? Because of Jesus's reverence toward his father, he was counted worthy. That's unbelievable to me. But because of our reverence toward God, we can let people into our lives that can take nothing from our lives. That's the gospel, right? This is the gospel. And so in 1 Samuel, just write these down. We don't have time to turn to them. But in 1 Samuel 13 through 15, and this is really, if you're a leader listening, I, I, uh, I would encourage you to really dive into this portion of scripture because you see this, this intense difference between uh, Saul and David. And I know we talk about it a lot, but, but in, in, 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul gets to this point where people begin to leave. Every leader, every pastor, every person discipling anyone will deal with this. And how many of you know you're all supposed to disciple people? It's, the commission is for everyone, go to all nations, right? But there is a... Um, there's always moments in your life. There's always John 6 moments in your life where you have to decide, will I fear man or will I fear God? Will I tell the truth or will I not tell the truth? Always. Those moments in life where Jesus is watch, walking in John 6 and crowds by the thousands are following him and he turns around and he starts to shout, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Like he waits till his highest moment of influence. And, and says the most crazy, offensive thing when the most people are following him. The model today is when the most people are following you, be the most careful. But when you got the 12, say whatever you want. But when the 5,000 are there, don't say whatever you want. Because we want them to stay because we like people and money. Like, we're just being honest, right? So, so Jesus waits until this moment where he's got the most influence following him. He turns around and he says the most offensive, crazy stuff. And, and people start to scatter from him. He looks at the 12, he says, you're gonna leave too? He said, no, we found life in your words, right? But Saul experiences this in 1 Samuel 13. He's waiting for Samuel to come and bring a sacrifice. And as he's waiting, people begin to leave him. And he makes this statement when Samuel comes and corrects him. He says, because the people were scattering from me, because people were leaving my church, because people weren't following me anymore, because people stopped trusting me, that's a big one. Like we're really bad at handling, oh my gosh, I'm not trusted. And we call it an attack on our character and all of this stuff. And we become so protective over things that we don't need to be protective over. Because if we really believe that our righteousness is in Christ and I've got nothing to prove, then, then you, won't be, you won't be jumping out of your lane when people start scattering from you. But he had a man-pleasing spirit in his life because later on it says in the chapter that, that it was a man-pleasing spirit that drove him, that drove him to make a sacrifice unlawfully. So the Lord 
in, in the same chapter, he comes along and he's like, I'm gonna find a man after my own heart. And he finds this man, David, who could look at giants and say, who are you? Like everything in his life was the opposite of fear. And, and Saul stepped out of his lane, did a sacrifice. David also did a sacrifice, not allowed. He's not of the line of Levi. Yet he didn't die and lose his kingdom the same way Saul did because of this one thing. Saul had a man-pleasing spirit and David feared God. And his fear of God was his protection. And so in Proverbs, listen, 29, 25, just write these down. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Jeremiah 17, five through eight, the Lord, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man, who puts, that word is, who puts all of your hope in him and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. I have to be honest. I have experienced that, and so have you. We all have. That, that part of your life where everything seems to be going good, but you feel like you're lost in the desert, I mean, and you put yourself there. And you say you're in a wilderness season, but sometimes, and I, and I, agree, I 100% believe in that, but sometimes... Be careful that you don't walk there. Well, the promise is right there. And you're saying, woe is me. And the Lord's like, take a right. <laughs> right? I've been there. I'm like crying to the Lord. And the Lord is like, get off the ground. You're not in a wilderness season. Look at your house. Look at your children. Look at your wife. Right? Like we're so boohoo about ourselves. This is me. And like on Mondays, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like a shrub in the desert. Why? Because my trust is in the strength of man. Right? So then it goes on and he says, he is like a shrub in the desert and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. People, I believe, feel parched and distanced from God because of the fear of man. Because what you fear, you behold and worship. There's no in-between. We have too many communities and too many places and too many families and too many people that live in that gray area. And God's removing that gray area out of the church in this hour. But then it goes on, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. You'll never feel parched when you fear God that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. When heat and trial and tribulation come, you find out really quick what you fear. For its leaves remain green and it is not, listen, it's not anxious in a year of drought. So many in the church, everywhere I go in the world, it's not even a prophetic word anymore. You can go into any Christian environment and say how many of you are dealing with fear, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts, and, re- and at least 20% will raise their hand. We did it in, a, in the first time I preached to our youth group at Risen Nation. I asked, I did a call for depression, suicidal thoughts, fear, anxiety, and sleepless nights, and I would say 60%, if not 70% of the youth came up. These are our children. And I remember the kids weeping and I'm weeping and I'm thinking, this is the state of our children. When I was 12, I wasn't anxious. I mean, when I was a little kid, like when you're little, you just play and you don't think about anything. I mean, my dad is like going through it in the church and and I think everything's amazing and I think we're rich. And he's like working to get food on the table. But this is, this is where we need fathers. We need leaders to stand up in the midst of hard situations in heat. And when there's no fear of man, they create a lifestyle for their family that looks like endless supply. Right? Because there's no fear of man. You'll never be parched if, there's, if you fear God. But if you fear man, you'll never feel or know what it, it's like to be a tree planted by water. Right? So... Luke 12, this one I want you to go to. Go to, go to Luke 12. You guys okay? I, I, 
I actually don't think we're going to be much longer. All right. Okay, so let's, start in, let's start in verse four. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you to whom to fear. Fear him after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's intense. That's red letters, by the way. And listen, and it's interesting. Right after he says to fear him, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before the Lord. This is, this is what the fear of the Lord looks like. Watch. And not one of them is forgotten before the Lord. Why? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Red letters. Jesus, your God said this about you. Fear not for you are more valuable than many sparrows. So in other words, fear him and you'll have no fear. In the same verse, fear God and how it explains the reasoning behind the worthy, him, him being worthy of fearing him is because he doesn't, he, he doesn't forget about one sparrow that falls to the ground. How much more does he care for you? So fear God and you'll have no fear. There's a quote by Oswald Chamber. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Anyone know, know what I'm talking about? Like you get into that stuff, you feel something, you start Googling it. Babe, I don't know what it is. I can't move my neck. I can't, I, I, I have all these, these issues going on and you really find out quickly what you fear. And then you're like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not like as in depth in the Lord as I thought. And it's this one issue. What do you fear? The fear of the Lord brings you, listen, the true fear of the Lord brings you into the revelation of your value. And here's the main point. Those that fear man are looking for identity from man. This is the point, is, is those that, it's, it's an issue of self-worth, it's, it's, a, it's a his blood is not enough issue, right? It's a, when we lack identity, you'll look for others to create one for you, right? We've been there. Everyone's been there. When you lack the confidence of who you are in Christ, you'll look for someone to give you a compliment, to tell you who you are, or the criticism of someone will completely ruin your life for the next three days, and it's all you'll think about. And you can't stand the fact that someone's mad at you. Anyone ever been there? Come on, it's the fear of man. You can't even sleep. You can't even sleep or think straight if someone could possibly have an issue with you. And we become suspicious about everything. Anyone ever been there? <laughs> this person must hate me. That person hasn't thought about you in three years. <laughs> but it's the truth. Because we're so consumed with what everybody thinks and they're just trying to live their life. And because you need identity, because you lack worth, because you lack love, you're looking for anywhere you can get it. We've all, I've been there. I was there October through December for crying out loud. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. <laughs> but listen, the applause of man, it can't give you anything. Trust me, it can't give you anything. And actually, it's the applause of man without first being rooted in love and identity in Christ that will cause you to live your life consistently beholding man. And what you behold, you become what you become. Listen, you worship. And I think we have man-pleasing worship riddled throughout the church, and nobody talks about it. Why? Because of a religious spirit. Nobody's willing to say stuff because we're worried about losing people because we fear and worship man. And if we really love you, we'll tell you the truth. 
And for too long, it is silenced. It's silenced. Go to Galatians 1. It has silenced a generation because of the fear of man that is birthed in religion. It has silenced a generation into thinking and believing that I'll never be enough. And the definition of insanity is, I've said it a lot, do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And this is what we've done. We just keep teaching what they told us to teach over and over again. Even if it's not in the Bible, we say, that, we say words that aren't even in scripture because someone said it in the 80s, they must be right. But we have the same problems going from one generation to another generation to another generation. And when I look at our kids and I look at what God's doing in the young people, it, we don't have, we don't, there's no more time to waste. We've got to shake the religion off of our life that's causing us to behold man. And it's found in this, I am loved as Jesus is loved. I am as righteous as Jesus is righteous through Jesus. That's, I, I believe it. When my kids are growing up. That's what they're going to believe. That's what they're going to say. And you know, it's going to cause them to want nothing to do with the world. Okay, Galatians 1, we've read this before, but Paul said repeating is good, so we're going to repeat, and it's going to be fun. I've read, every time I read this, I think I need to know the Lord more, every single time. All right, Paul, Paul comes to the Galatians, and I love this. He says, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, <laughs> nor through men. He wasn't voted in. Can't be voted out. I love it. This is how he starts it because he's, he's got he's to he's, he's bring some corrections so he makes sure they know who he is. Yeah. This is the, the way Paul led. Not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with him. Jump to verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Imagine you have an angelic encounter. Just be very careful. I don't care if an angel walks into your room. If it doesn't line up to, with the word, tell him to go away. Okay? Not every experience and dream you have is from God. Be very careful. Line your whole life against the word of truth. Amen? Paul says, if an angel comes to you, starts preaching to you, let me look for that. Let me look for that, Michael, really quick. Just really quick. Imagine. <laughs> his word is all authority. He exalts it above his own name. Your experiences have to line up with the word. Okay, so he goes on and he says, as, verses verse nine, and as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you the gospel, contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Here it is, for, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The implication is that October through December, when I'm struggling, just being honest with the fear of man, that I'm having an issue with being a true servant of Christ. Right? He goes on in verse 11. He says, for I would have no, for, for I would have you know, brothers. Again, he's making this thing clear. You imagine if leaders talked like this today? Brothers, that the gospel was not preached by, by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. Now go to, to chapter three, verse one. Verse one says, oh, foolish Galatians, exclamation point. He's yelling at them. Who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish? This is, this is harsh. Having begun by the spirit and now you are being perfected by the flesh. In other words, you receive the gospel understanding that you didn't earn it, but somewhere along the way, you started thinking that you had to earn his approval, right? This is the passion. This is the passion of verse six. I am shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the one who called you in the grace of Christ. I am astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. Listen to this. That is a fake gospel that is simply not true. There is only one gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace to confuse you. You have allowed those who come into your life, say, you can't say that. You can't do that. You can't say you're like God, even though the Bible says it. You can't say that. That's heresy. We got a whole problem with the Bible. If you think you are not the image and likeness of God, right? You've allowed, listen, you've allowed those. There's the fear of man. You allowed people to come into your life and cause you to mingle law and grace. And because you feared them, you let it play out in your life. But even if we are an angel have from heaven should preach a gospel different than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let, it, let me make it clear. Anyone, no matter who they are, that brings you a different gospel than the gospel you have received, let them be condemned and cursed. I mean, he's clear. God forbid we heard a pastor say that. I'm obviously not trying to flatter you <laughs> or water down my message to be popular with men. But my supreme passion is to please God. For if if all I attempt to do is please people, I would fail to be a true servant of Christ. Beloved ones, let me repeat clearly that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation for it was given to me directly by the unveiling of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is the fake gospel is one that mingles law and grace. There's only one, only one that carries the power to make you right. And it's grace all by itself. People are so concerned, so concerned that we don't get into, what do they call it? Messy grace, extreme grace. I'm like, do you realize how extreme grace is? That there is nothing you can do to make it more extreme. You ain't powerful enough for that. What, what people preach about grace is the ability to just live like I want. I'm still going to make it. That's not grace. That's some sort of demonic doctrine that's not worthy of a name. Right? But true grace isn't just I'm forgiven. True grace is I am changed. Divine influence upon the heart is what the word means. And then, and then the reflection of the life, right? Grace is the ability to walk out what's always been true. Grace is what comes into your life when you used to open the laptop and do things you're not supposed to. Grace keeps the power in your life to keep it closed. That's grace, right? People that are pursuing true grace do not need someone. Do not need someone to tell them, make sure you got a little law in your life so you stay balanced. You're encouraging a false gospel. A fake gospel, Paul is saying, a fake gospel is saying rules and regulations and grace. But true grace doesn't need rules and regulations. Hear what I'm saying. Because some of you are going, oh my gosh, I, he's telling me I can sin. Hear what I am saying. True grace. You don't need a manual going, oh, don't do that. No. You don't need that in your life anymore. Because grace took the law that was rules and regulations telling you what you can and you can't do. And the one who gave the law came into your life. This is wild. 
This is unbelievable. Righteousness itself walked into my life and said, Christ in you is the confident expectation of glory. Right? This man, Damon Thompson, says, for too long, we have preached the conditional, unconditional love of God. <laughs> so powerful. For too long, we have preached the conditional, unconditional love of God, and you know we're creating confused people. Am I Adam, or am I like Jesus? I'll just be both. Not possible. Fake gospel. Double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You don't have two dual, are you dual nature? You're confused, right? But, but we teach this, is, 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 it's like, listen, I, hunger and zeal is not our problem. We got that all over the earth. We got people burning for God. I mean, we can fill stadiums and they can jump and scream and shout and do all of this stuff. But the reason why people get healed in those meetings and, and then later get sick or they experience God, like we've had this conversation with the school because how many times have we experienced in ministry school? People come in, they get saturated in the prayer and they go right back to doing what they were doing, right? Because zeal and hunger without, it, you can be sincere, but sincerity without truth will just lead you back to where you were, right? And so it's, it's this idea that that I'm going to be hungry for the Lord, right? But just add a little, little, little bit of legalism in there so I don't jump too wild, right? Hunger and zealous, just, just put a little bit of legalism in there so that for the rest of my life, every day I'll struggle with my worth. Even just a little bit, just a little bit of mingling these two things will cause people to jump and scream and shout and do all of the right stuff. But the minute they leave, it's like a man, Right? Not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Now, I know we've made that about evangelism, and it's true. But to also be a doer of the word is to live out everything it says. Not just tell people what it says, but to live out what it says. Not just to be a herald of something, but an example of something. To live out that as he is, so am I. To live that out. And it says anybody that doesn't do that is like a man walking away, forgetting who he was. Right? So I think people are sincere, but the Pharisees were sincere. I mean, Paul was sincere when he was killing Christians. But sincerity without truth won't get you anywhere. We need truth. Can I have the, the team come back up? And can you guys do make room? Because we're going to shake religion out. It's going to be great. Okay. All right. And I, and I want to be clear with this. I... I believe that holiness and purity is coming, is coming into the church unlike anything I've ever seen. I want children that have no idea what darkness in the world is, right? I believe that there's got to be a group of people that change that cycle of I started loving the Lord or at least knowing of him, and then I had to go taste the world to come back to him. I believe that that cycle is going to be broken in our children. Amen. So I, I want the greatest holiness, purity movement ever to hit the earth. But I have found in my own life that when I aim at that, and I don't aim at union with God, that this is not possible. That without a shadow of a doubt, when I aim and work hard to be righteous, without a doubt, I become a hypocrite. Because what I'm saying is, I know I received the gift, but now I'm going to work it. I know, Lord, that it was a gift, but now, you know, I have to earn it now because, you know, I know. It's, it, it doesn't even make sense. But when our lives are consistently aimed at nothing other than union with him who is right, you stay in that, like Damon says, that, that perichoresis circle dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect mutual indwelling between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, just stay in the middle of that. Stay in the union and the communion of that and you won't have to work hard to be right. You just will be right. That you won't have to work hard anymore not to sin. You're not gonna have to try to, to walk around and be like, be a good boy, be a good boy. I don't walk around when I travel. I've been gone for seven days. And do you know that not one time I walked into a store going like this, don't commit adultery. 
that when any girl walked in, I said, 10 feet. You know, I didn't have to do that. Do you know why? Because of union. Do you know why? Because I am in love with my wife and it causes my eyes to not want to wonder. Come on, it, it, that love, it, it's so powerful that I'm not walking around thinking about don't commit adultery. But this is what we do in church. We tell people, fall in love with Jesus, but be a really good boy. And behavior modification is not transformation. The Lord didn't refurbish you. He didn't dust you off. The gospel isn't cleaning off the old self. It's killing the old self, coming alive to God. So for you to say you're a sinner, you are confused. And you still believe in Adam. You think the first Adam's sin is more powerful than the last Adam's righteousness. You have to decide, where am I going to land? Where am I going to stay? And you don't have to walk around. Religion wants you to walk around constantly battling your worth, constantly. And the fear of man, because we want to please everybody around us, we talk with trash in our mouth. Woe is me. How filthy I am. And religion, when you start growing, I've watched it. I've watched generations get close to this. And when they start getting too close, no, 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 that's too you're going to become unbalanced. You're going to become cultish. Stop. Romans 8, you have to turn there. Can you guys actually stand to your feet? Romans 8, 38 through 39. I am convinced that nothing, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you guys know it says high depth, principality, power. Do you know that like it doesn't, it doesn't even talk about like your pastor, your preacher. I mean, it goes way beyond that. It talks about principalities. <laughs> it talks about powers, angels themselves coming into your room, trying to teach you a fake gospel. He says, there's no power on earth, above the earth or beneath the earth that can separate you from my love. I, I, I think if I've got the fear of man, of man in my life, I think I have a true problem believing that. And because for so long, because we don't trust that God is powerful enough in us to make us like him, we preach a gospel that is consumed, that is consumed with behave, be a good boy, have a little bit of law in your life so you balance grace, right? And what it's caused us to do is it's caused us to live in constant conviction. That's good, but I would rather live convinced. Right? I can live convicted of everything, but conviction implies that you're that there's sin and you're tempted by it. Oh my God, I'm so convicted because you're pulled toward it. But he's taking us from being convicted to being convinced of God's love. And when I'm convinced of what he says about me, I'm not, I'm not walking around going, stay convicted. I'm saying, stay convinced. Religion will probably attempt and definitely come against this message, but I've decided something. Something broke out at the end of December in my own life. When I began to identify, I've been battling this spirit. It's been hitting our team. It's been hitting people in the church. And I will tell you, it's a religious spirit trying to get you to long for man's approval and not God's. God has called this house to cause religion to shake and to tremble. I wanna be like a man with a stick poking that bubble of religion my whole life until it pops open. But in order for a bubble to pop, I gotta be sharp enough with it. And I'm looking for some sharp tools and instruments inside of a building that have this made this decision together that if we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, then you better be willing to say the things that Jesus said. You better be willing to preach the things that Jesus preached. And don't be a hypocrite and say one thing in front of a small group and another thing in front of a big group because you're afraid of them. Now, I understand that not everybody is on the same page and we got to lead people and teach them and not freak them out. But may we never water down the gospel. May we never water this thing down because someone said, wow, you're saying you are God. What are you talking about? I am. 
come boldly saying, I am the image and likeness of God. And this has always been my inheritance. And I'm gonna tell my kids to tell their kids. And because I don't fear man, see some, your kids are your replacement, but others, your kids are your inheritance. You have the decision to make in your life. And I'm telling you, you fear people, when your kids start getting anointed, you'll fear them too. And we're in competitions with generations. I mean, it's amazing to me. Make sure you mention not just the younger generation, but all of us. No, because as fathers and mothers, you should want them to go further than you've ever gone. That should be the inheritance of this house, is that Micah is more anointed than Pastor Gerardo. That should be the story of our lives, is that our kids loved him in a way we never could. And the reason why is because I didn't fight with them, I wasn't competing with them because I had no fear of man. Either your replacement or your inheritance. If we're gonna raise some kids as an inheritance that see the groaning of creation answered and the manifestation of their lives, we better get on page with you are not a sinner, but you are a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And if you can't believe that, I can't help you because it's in the Bible and we have to get back to the Bible. And I'm just tired of good taglines, skinny jeans and fog machines and barely hearing the name of Jesus, let alone we are like him. So I am the first to raise my hand. But if you need the fear of man to break off your life, raise your hand. Fear of man. And it can look like this. Even for leaders, like we're afraid to hold a microphone. Why? Because you fear man. I know that that's intense and harsh, but guys, you gotta get free from people so you can actually lead them. We gotta get free from people so that we can actually know we're going up a mountain with all of our heart and there's gonna be someone behind me following me, but I don't have time to turn around and make sure that they approve of the path we're taking. So come on, Lord, as we do this song, we're gonna ask the Lord. And I believe people are gonna get healed in this. I believe that devils are gonna leave. I believe that all, all these little critters that are keeping you up at night are no longer gonna keep you up at night. Torment at night does not belong in this house. Some of you are scared of the dark. It's leaving today. It's leaving today. Turn all the lights off and start worshiping. There is none but Jesus. There's nothing to fear. There's no one worth fearing other than the man I worship. He's the only one who died for me. No one else did. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.